Hello and welcome to the business community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And this week, the news at the beginning of the week was all about the housing market. So, of course, we decided that now is as good a time as any to talk about the UK housing market. I've gone a little bit further afield as well, Heather. I don't know about you with your research, but I uh, I went to have a look around the whole world and around Europe as well, just out of interest. But the reason for um, all of the articles is that um, it's the start of a new government initiative um, with a 95% mortgage guarantee scheme. And that started this week, I believe, Heather. But also at the same time, the news is that house prices are surging um, because of record demand and shortage of homes for sale. Heather, you're not selling a house at the moment. You're not buying a house, I take it. You Have you got any personal interest in the UK housing market? Only in as much that um, houses just seem to be selling. So no sooner do I think, oh, there's a house on the market, that it's sold. And that, I mean, that's kind of, you know, partly why we, we were sort of having a conversation about this. Mm. And then, of course, we found out about this 95% mortgage thing. But no, I'm not in the market for selling a house, but I'm in the market for looking inside houses that are for sale. Yes, I do like doing that. Just online. That's a wonderful thing about the internet. You don't actually have to make an appointment and turn up. You can just um, browse it from your own sofa, can't you? Interestingly, you say that houses do appear to be selling really quickly. In an article I read in The Guardian on Monday, it did confirm that it says that the average number of days to sell a property has dropped to its lowest ever level at just 45 days that is amazing I and 23 percent of sales sell within a week of being advertised that's that's mad yeah I was talking to somebody the other day who was in the is in the market for buying a house and they said that they spotted somewhere um contacted the agent and they said that and it literally was on the market on Tuesday contacted the agent on Wednesday so I imagine that estate agents are you know are going around letting people know that there are properties available um and and they're just getting snapped up yeah I'm guessing people must be on waiting lists so mm. when when the agent knows something's coming he knows he's got a ready market already it's a great market to be in (laughs) absolutely and of course that that pushes the prices up and um you know, the, the 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 average house price, I mean, if you look at if you look at the there's a graph on on right move. So even considering um the dip from last year, so like April, May 2020, where you know things were really low, it's just climbed since January, it's just gone up and up and up. Um and it doesn't it doesn't even look like there's any sign of that stopping. No, I so, was reading, um, I think probably following on from the same right move research, it said it jumped 2.1% between March and April. Yeah. It's massive, yeah. isn't it? So yeah. I think it was about 327000 is the average mm. price now. And obviously yeah. there's going to be massive regional variations. Do you remember the price of the first house you bought, Heather? Yes, I do. It was £12,500. Ah, and my grandparents gave me a thousand pounds, or le- lent me a thousand pounds, and I used seven hundred and fifty pounds of that as my deposit, 
and some for legal fees. So it was it was quite a it's quite I was completely skint. I, it was it was a really tough time. I was twenty when I bought my first house. What about you? I was twenty one when I bought my first house, and it was twenty seven and a half thousand. Gosh, As, and I think it was at pretty much at the height of the market when, when I bought. So it's um, around about the time the interest rates went up to about fifteen percent or something. So it was a really dreadful time to buy, but obviously prices have just continued to rise to to the extent now that I just wonder, you know, how young people buy a house these days. It, it's out of the reach of so many people. And um, that sort of prompted me to have a little bit of a, a dig into home ownership rates and are they falling? And, and one article I read in The Economist, it proved mm-hmm. to be very, very useful. Okay. Um, it, uh, they were talking about the, um, that home ownership um, as sort of, become an issue obviously for younger people um and one school of thought is that millennials that's a bit of a tired phrase now is it millennials a tired word um is that they desire asset like lives so they rent cars music clothes you know so you stream music now don't you rather than buying CDs. yeah yeah and what one school of thought says well why not rent as well the, the other school of thought is that home ownership is just as desirable. It's just really difficult because you've got the um, the baby boomers who are holding on to their investments, trying to get a big return, using it as their pension parts, as their, a return on their savings. And, and it's just pushing prices up and up. So even though the millennials might want to take on a home, they've actually got more debt anyway because they've got student debt. And then the the deposit that you need is enormous. And Mm -hmm. also the house prices have just gone up and up. So uh, I think the jury's out there as to whether home ownership is is declining because millennials don't want to own a home or actually because they're being priced out of the market. Yeah, there was another thing in in this uh, article that they were talking about because of COVID and the impact that COVID's had. So even thinking about those trends that we've been talking about, there are a number of people, apparently, who might want to sell, but they don't want people to come into their house because of COVID. And these will be the sort of people who perhaps potentially don't appreciate that often the way that we buy houses now is through, you know, viewing properties online, you know, to sort of shortlist things. So they're also suggesting that um, properties might be at a premium because there are a lot of properties that aren't being put on the market that might ordinarily be. So you get into that whole supply and demand thing, which I think is really interesting. And then the other thing that and this is what I thought was happening during COVID um, but of course when the construction industry was um, closed down when I think about it probably not an option I know a lot of people have been doing DIY because that's about the only thing that that we could do you know people would spend time investing in their own homes and whether that's meant that they've decided to stay living there or whether it's that they've decided now it all looks swanky let's see if we can get the best price for it Hmm. I'm not sure, but it's a bit chicken and the egg, I think. Hmm. I tell you what, there's there's something uh, that I read that brought this back, right back to the business community. So we're a business um, discussion show 
Yeah. And there was one um, paragraph that I read in one of the Economist articles, and it says that home ownership does some subtle damage to the economy. And did you know that home buyers are 30% less likely to become entrepreneurs? Really? Because the, that's if they've got debt. So I suppose if they bought the house outright and they own it, it's not yeah. a problem. But a responsibility for a large mortgage debt may be making people less keen to take on further risk by be- starting their own business. Ah, yeah. So, so that's from the to be to exercise their skills as an entrepreneur rather than an existing entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, somebody's yeah. less likely to become, to actually start yeah. to be an yeah. entrepreneur if they've got a mortgage, which I, I can totally understand that. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, I suppose where, you know, where the positive is, is that it's not all about mortgage companies and estate agents. You know, there are the legal services that, you know, conveyances, surveyors, conveyancing, um, remedial work that might be need to be done as part of a, a mortgage condition or whatever so I suppose as long as the wheels keep getting oiled yeah things you know things will will continue but I I just I I imagined that housing market would just grind to a halt because of coronavirus and that certainly doesn't seem to have been what's happened no, so prices are going, it's a supply and demand issue, isn't it? Mm. So the demand's mm. outstripping supply. Um, another article I read in um, in The Economist suggested that um, actually the, um, the popularity of home ownership in the West was a big economic policy mistake. So that's a different look at it. Um, and basically the root of the failure is the lack of buildings. So... Th- Right. We're talking about supply and demand again. So as people are being encouraged to own homes, yeah, um, that we aren't building enough homes to keep up with it, which is pushing up the prices and it undermines growth and fairness and um, it, it, it causes issues with um, ageing homeowners, um, sitting on half empty homes. That's not my words, that's in the article. Mm-hmm. And the generation of young people who can't afford to rent or buy. Because rent prices are so high as well because yeah. of that um, lack of um, available property. So uh, that, that was a slightly different uh, take. That was from January last year in The Economist. And, and they were just explaining how um, the number of um, new houses constructed per person in the West has fallen by half since the 1960s. And there was a, there was a massive programme of house building, wasn't there, post-war but actually, I didn't realise it had fallen by half per person in that space of time. So, I, but I suppose a lot of that was rebuilding. Yeah, you know, true. Um, as opposed to new new build, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and and again, it surprises me that I, particularly with the last year, you know, I'll be driving somewhere that I haven't driven to or passed for ages, and there'll be houses there, and it's like they seem to be springing up everywhere and yet they're priced in such a way that they're not accessible for so many people and you know i love some stats as well heather so just released in february this year were some stats on home ownership in europe um in Mm -hmm. 2019 
So did you come across these yourself or were you no, not I didn't. looking for no. stats? No, no, no. <laughs> Can you guess the country in Europe that has the highest rate of home ownership? Um, France. Romania. Oh, okay. So the top few countries with for home ownership, Romania, Hungary, Montenegro, 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 Slovakia, Lithuania, Croatia, North Macedonia. Okay, so we have to go fair way down to go to the UK. We're at 65.2%. Romania, 95.8%. Goodness me. And then the but, lowest in Europe is Switzerland at 41.6%. I always thought it was Germany because I know there's a, um, there's a real thriving uh, rental market in Germany. A lot of people uh, appeared to, in my understanding of Germany, rent. But they're up all the way up at 51.1% and Switzerland down at 41%. That is that is really interesting. And I wonder whether there's something around, obviously, you know, the sort of Eastern European states have a reputation for being very hardworking and, you know, and that they, you know, that they'll travel to where the work is, they'll work hard, they'll send money home. So whether they're willing, if you were looking at work-life balance, perhaps, uh, or you know or going overseas or traveling away quality of life they might be you know that might be very different for them yeah because of the whole you know work work hard and, and send money home or you know invest obviously yeah S- sadly um there, there isn't a, a massive description of um thoughts around this there's no commentary with the statistics um, but it's it's quite interesting. You mentioned France. Um, mm. They've actually got lower home ownership rates than the UK. Only just. We're at 65. They're at 64. That does surprise me. Mm. I know in Asia, uh, you know, rental is quite common. Um, and and I, I, I don't know if that's because, you know, the more densely populated areas of Asia it would be really difficult for everybody to have their own dwelling and that families tend to live together a bit more, et cetera. Um, so they sort of pool their resources, I guess. Um, so then, you know, it may be that, it, that it's a, a, a parental home that people move into or people move in with their children. But it is interesting stuff. But it, But it's clear that the housing market does oil the wheels of industry and... And if that stops, whether it's the supply and demand, whether it's the building, you know, the, the physical building and all the trades that get involved in that, the people who move people, um, you know, when they're when they're when they're moving houses, mm. so it touches so many parts of the business sector, doesn't it? Yeah, this intrigued me though about Germany. So we we've got. Um highest house prices ever. Actually, you'd think. Um, potentially equate um, the low um, home ownership with high house prices, wouldn't you? Maybe that's why Mm. people don't buy. But actually, um, Germany's real house prices on average are no higher than they were in 1980. So there hasn't been a massive inflation of house prices in Germany. Um, And the rental market encourages long-term tenancies and clear enforceable rights for renters. Again, it's 
probably a bit different too in the UK. And um, I, I think, you know, it, it's maybe it's just a society, an outlook that's very different, but there, there hasn't been this encouragement by the government either. So there's no tax breaks for owners, um, you know, there's no no encouragement from a political um, side to to encourage home ownership, as there was in the UK, wasn't there, with the um, with the um, the whole um, buying your council house schemes, yeah, that real push to um, to to home ownership in the UK. So they've not had that sort of thing in Germany, and yeah, it's just around fifty percent home ownership. Did you come across anything because because we've we've had changes to stamp duty rules, haven't we? Again, to try and um, bolster the economy, uh, and they did they cease to be in effect from the thirty first of March. I don't think they've been extended again, have they? Yeah, I haven't looked into that, Heather. No. Yeah, but but there was some suggestion that one of the reasons why um, we're on a, a, a spike is because people taking advantage of that because once that's finished obviously then we're back to the you know the, the stamp duty but there's a little bit of me that thinks that they may have extended the stamp duty break apart from properties over half a million but okay. don't quote me on that so uh, there's one last thing um, I wanted to say is actually what is the housing market I know that seems a bit <laughs> silly but um, it, it's actually you know, what does it consist of? And it's um, it's defined as the stock of privately owned and occupied houses and apartments, privately rented and local authority rented accommodation and property managed by housing associations. So sorry, that's just the official definition yeah. of the housing market in the UK. And we have in the past talked about, again, going back to coronavirus, the commercial property that is now not you know is not occupied to the same extent and whether there'll be a big surge of that being converted into housing you know perhaps flats etc now that's gonna that's gonna have a, a, another change as well perhaps on the on the building as well i've just come across another stat i'm gonna have to share this one go on let's you. have it so in the early 20th century do you know how many homes were owner occupied in the early 20th century, it's either a really small number or a really big number. I'm going to go with a really small number. Yeah. Pick one. Pick a small percentage. Um, 15%. Not bad. 10%. Gosh. Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're up to 62%. That's 65%. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and do you know what's really interesting there is that not that my family has any money, um, but around that time, my father's family owned quite a lot of property. They owned houses, they owned shops. Uh, so they they must have been quite wealthy. <laughs> must have been quite wealthy. Um, Where did it all go, Heather? I don't know. I don't know. Um, an exception to the rule, perhaps. Might, maybe that's the <laughs> thing, but... Uh, that's quite staggering, actually, that figure. Gosh. Yeah. So that's the UK housing market. And uh, when, when we um, put the blog on our website, the business.community, I'll put a couple of the links to stuff. Will you put the stats link on there, Heather? Because I like a, 
a stats uh, yes i will indeed anybody who likes looking at stats you can uh, knock yourself out with that knock yourself out (laughs) and uh, message tracy directly (laughs) now you might have noticed in this podcast that me and heather don't have any problem talking heather (laughs) is a communicator by profession that is literally what you do isn't it for your job you communicate (laughs) and you do you talk for a hobby so essentially there's there's no getting away from the fact that you talk but also and I've been um, the beneficiary of some of your training in this area you help other people to communicate and to present themselves and and um, how to speak in public so um, this might have been a bit like um, teaching a grandma how to suck eggs but I suggested this book this week called Find Your Voice by a lady by, uh, called Caroline Goida. So sorry, Heather, if it felt like a busman's holiday. It's probably stuff you already know. And I could say I'm not afraid to share my voice, but actually I found some things in this book really, really useful. And as we've said so many times, it doesn't matter how much you know about a subject there's always something else or to reinforce or something new or another perspective, another way of looking at something. So I read the book, or rather most of the book, I haven't quite finished it yet. And Heather, you did some research around it. That's right, isn't it? That is absolutely right. Uh, part of the research was that I discovered that I had got an audible version of the book. Uh, and then I had a new phone and I can't figure out how to get to get into my audible account to find said book Fair but enough. that's but that's okay because i watched a ted talk uh that uh caroline did a tedx talk uh that she did at brighton and she was speaking to a group of actors musicians um people who you would expect to be able to feel confident enough to to stand in front of a group of people or sit in front of a group of people and, and do what they what they do. I think there were dancers in the mix as well. And, and yeah, okay, you know, this is something that I do and, and this is something that I help people with. But every day is always a school day. And what Caroline is that I'm not is she's got an international reputation for what she does, right? So, you know, we're raising the bar a little bit here. Um, but also she worked um as a speech and drama teacher so she's studied the voice and she talks a lot about the physical elements of communication and what's going on with your body which I thought was really really interesting yeah that comes out in the book as well she explains that in a lot of detail Uh, and I thought yeah like you say it's interesting because uh, she was actually talking you through some exercises where you you, you're actually touching your throat and and Mm. feeling um, your voice um, your vocal cords move and then you know holding your tummy and feel just feeling the breath in your body and the voice coming out of your body as well so it's a really really nice book and very easy read and she she writes beautifully as well what's she like as a speaker I take it she's very good yeah she's very engaging um she's funny Um, I mean if I'm honest I don't know how her her audience well I found them a bit off-putting because really it well only because from the from the camera point of view they didn't seem to be giving much back but I don't know if that's just because you know the, the way it was filmed but she was very 
she, yeah, she was very engaging. And I, I, you know, I would have wanted to respond, but then, hey, you know. Maybe, maybe it was the post-lunch um, slot that they knew yeah. she was a professional speaker and went, hey, <laughs> here you go. You have you have that slot. <laughs> yeah, she, I mean, she did. She talked, like you've said, she talked very much about breath and the body and thinking about um, our voice as an instrument, you know, which... Okay, you know, you might have heard that said a million times before, but she doesn't just say that it's an instrument. She demonstrates to us how we can play this instrument um, and that because it is an instrument, we can learn to play it. Yeah. And and I think some of that was, it just shifted the way that you think about that, about things. As I say, I haven't finished the book yet, but I've highlighted so many sections. I would say if you do buy this book, Heather, buy the hard copy because you will be putting loads of post-it notes in it. I can just picture you now, your post-it notes all over this. Um, one of the first things I highlighted was um, she described the voice. Um, well, sorry, she quoted a writer called Al Alvarez, who described the voice as your expression of your aliveness. Ooh. I liked that. Yes. You're alive. You're using your breath, yeah. you're breathing, yeah. you're, and you're alive. Um, so a few things to really make you um, have some confidence in that there's no such thing as a born speaker. And I absolutely, even though we like to talk, Heather, it doesn't mm -hmm. mean to say that we never have nerves when we start to speak. No, absolutely. And I wasn't always... I mean, no, that's not true. I started off talking to people from a very young age. I'd be out in the street talking to people. But then I had a period in my sort of teenage, early adult life. I was very shy, very introverted, didn't didn't want, you know, didn't know what to say, didn't know how to to converse. So it's not it's not a given that, that you know, you no. are or you aren't. No, and exactly. Even if you if you look at somebody um, like Caroline and she's up there, she's doing a TEDx talk and she's a professional communicator, doesn't mean to say that she hasn't had to put some work into that. Mm. She's had to think about what she says. She's had to think about how she uses her voice as an instrument, a lot of planning. And she may well have had nerves as well, but she knows how to handle them. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? It takes some work. And she recommends committing at least five minutes of your day, ideally in the morning, to your voice. Yes. And what I loved about that, and this is something that that I, I do talk to people about, particularly people who are, are quite quietly spoken, uh, because we tend not to use our voice to its full volume. Well, unless you've got kids. I didn't have kids. You know, but, <laughs> I can sound like a fishwife, I can assure you. <laughs> but we don't test the volume of our voice to know how loud it can be without the need for any amplification. She talks about singing, you know, and that's something that, you know, a lot of us can do in the shower or whatever or in the car. Um, but just trying it and using your voice and testing where it can go can be really helpful as well. So I, I quite like that. There, there was one bit where I could not stop yawning. She was talking about um, things that open your resonators. So once you start to make the noise, your body is your resonator. It's the thing that actually amplifies your voice and so that people can hear you. And she says two things naturally open your resonators, a yawn and a laugh. And as I was reading this, it was making me laugh because every time I read the word yawn, I was actually... 
and like yeah. I am now, yawning. Contagious. Yeah, and she says that yawning is a brilliant way to open the voice to give lovely natural sense of space in the throat. So I was just thinking, you know, you stand up to do a talk or a presentation in a meeting and you have a big yawn at the front. <laughs> it, it might uh, might concern some people. Yeah, it might mask that. <laughs> Can I tell you what, obviously I didn't have the book, but um, her website, Caroline's website, has got lots of freebies so some confidence booster um a series of constant confidence booster sort of um pod, you know podcasty type things there's some downloadable resources there are lots of blog posts really really useful really interesting and really valid uh, and helpful constructive ways that we can use for our own benefit yeah, um, it's not great. it's not often you get generous freebies on a website, but um, she certainly uh, really she good. certainly does that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a couple of other things I want to share. Now, this is really important because we've talked about the future of work extensively on this podcast, and we've talked about how um, computers can potentially take over lots of roles. And she quotes in the book uh, the CEO of LinkedIn who says that oral communication is one of the key skills gaps of the future. And that's so important, oral communication. So even if you're thinking, I don't have to do presentations, I don't have to stand up in meetings, oral communication is going to be mm -hmm. so key. And it, it, she went on to say, when computers can do most things faster than humans, it is the ultra-human skills that will allow us to stand out. I love and that. That's brilliant. It is so important to realise mm. that, isn't it? Mm. So all of mm. those things, you know, so um, computers can do all the accounting, they can do all the receipting, they can all do all of that. They can't have a human conversation. And she says that voice is the ultimate human soft power. And this, this sentence really got me. She said, it's the infinite variety of your voice. It's empathy, emotion and nuance that gives you the ability to influence. That you can't get that with a computer, can you? Well, not yet anyway. Variety, empathy, emotion, and nuance. That's what computers don't have. And that's where you can focus. And, you know, I, I just think that was inspired. It really made me think about what are the important skills going forward. And it's not trying to compete with a computer. It's not trying to, um, and get rid of rage against the machine, get rid of all the computers to protect my job. It's actually finding the things that computers can't do as well as humans. So that we can focus on doing them ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and doing them better. Better, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and one final thing that I'm going to quote um, that I was really inspired by, and I don't know if you agree with this, she said she would ban the expression public speaking. She says it makes something perfectly normal, speaking and chatting, sound highly unnatural and worrying. We don't say public dancing, public playing and public singing. So why do we say public no. speaking? I think that's a, a brilliant comment. It is just speaking. Yeah. Well, because apart from the times when I talk to myself and say, you know, why, why have I come upstairs or, you know, whatever it might be, <laughs> most, most of the time we speak. It's to somebody else. Yeah, it's public. Yeah. 
So why is that time that you're standing up in front of a group of people or you're you're sat in a meeting? That's no more public than any other time you speak to somebody. No. no. So really good. I really, really enjoying what I've read so far with the book. And uh, I, I, I can highly recommend it. And certainly it sounds like you, you would recommend the website and the TEDx talk. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So that's Find Your Voice by Caroline Goida. Now, sticking with females who are good at what they do, um, our profile this week is of a lady who appeared on the 2021 Forbes Billionaires list that we were talking about last week. She was the lowest ranking female in the list of billionaires I hasten to add so let's just remember that she's not yeah. <laughs> she's still on the list of billionaires that's not she's bad, right at the top yeah, yeah. Uh, she uh, her um, net worth is 1.6 billion dollars was that all and that, that's all she was a new a new entry uh, at the bottom at, at, at the bottom of the list and she and her husband um, run an organization or have founded and are developing an organization that is trying to give Tesla a run for its money. Uh, it's called uh, Fisker Inc. It is in its startup phase. It was started in 2016. And um, she is, according to her husband, is the driving force and the brains behind the business because the things that she brings to the party totally complement the things that he brings to the party and not least that he ran a business that went bust uh, in 2014 so um, I don't think she's got any plans for it to go in that direction her name is Gita Gupta Fisker okay and... can, I, can I share something rather embarrassing with you about this oh Oh, go so, on. So when you said we're we're going to profile the founder of Fisker, I thought you meant the scissors. Fisker's scissors. I think it's spelt differently. Maybe it is. I'm not sure. I, I didn't do my research on scissors. I, I will hasten to add. I did do my research <laughs> on the right lady. But when we were talking Fiskers, my mind did not go to electric cars. My mind went to my <laughs> precious sewing scissors that if anybody uses to cut paper, I will cut them. Oh, OK, OK. <laughs> well, Serious scissors. So I don't know. Is it a different family then, a different Fisker family that do the scissors? Or is this? Oh, I don't I know. Don't know. I, I need to quickly Google that. Now, it's spelt differently. Fiskers scissors are A-R at the end Fiskar and um, we're talking about Fisker. I thought you were about to tell me that we'd both totally researched different things and I was wondering how we were going to join it all together. Pair of scissors and an electric car. I do I do like my electric car and I do like my Fisker's scissors but no I did I did research the right lady eventually that, <laughs> but that, imagine my really... disappointment when we're talking cars. Yeah. <laughs> Not crafting scissors. Says <laughs> the woman who drives an electric car. Yeah, like I say, I love my electric car. Yeah, yeah. maybe if I'd bought a Fisker instead of a, a Tesla, then <laughs> I'd, I'd have been a bit more clued up. Anyway, back 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 to this lovely lady, Gita Gupta Fisker. Uh, she is rather stunningly attractive. Um, 
and she's got quite a profile on LinkedIn, I found. Uh, she's got a really interesting background, starting with um, a degree in um, zoology and animal biology. It's not, it's not the obvious you, follow no, it's not what on, you, is it? And she didn't, she didn't sort of then think, oh, I'm not doing biology she went on to biotechnology and organic chemistry and she's a doctor of philosophy a phd in biotech and then she went on to do a postdoctoral research um, at the university of cambridge so yeah she's deeply embedded in that but then looking at her um experience she's then become a, an, an expert in um financial analysis and technology and business development, investments, um, investment advisor for many years, and then into the Fisker family business um, and co-founder of Fisker Inc. So really interesting. I, I don't know, you know, starting with um, zoology and working your way up to electric cars, I think that's quite varied. Yes, it, yes. We, Yes, it is. Do you know what I thought was really interesting on her LinkedIn profile? So bearing in mind that we've just established that she's worth $1.6 billion. On her about section, and I love this, the first thing she says is, wife to a kind, inspirational and amazing man and stepmom to two amazing kids. That's nice, isn't it? That's the first thing. that I absolutely love that because... I'm sure I've got on my high horse in the past about the whole the questions we ask each other are what do you do for a living and it's like no no I'm a human first I'm a person first and I just think that's lovely that she starts with that yeah uh, it, and she's just, she says nice things about them too which is even better yeah yes exactly exactly she talks about um being very community minded, um, supports initiatives for women and children, uh, believes in education. Um, she she started um, her life in India. Her father um, worked hard. She values learning. Um, so in that about section, it, it does really set the tone as to what she's like, what you know, where she's coming from, I guess which sometimes gets lost when people are involved in these massive organizations. And, and when, when you see the two of them together, you know, they, they're clearly high flyers, you know, that, and yet I just love that this was back to starts with, I'm a wife and a stepmom. Well, she does continue that theme. So I read a, a brilliant article in uh, wellum.com and, um, the first question they ask her is, define yourself. Who is Gita Fisker? And she says, she's, she starts off by saying she's co-founder, president and CFO of Fisker Inc. But above all, I'm a wife to a man that inspires me every day and a mum to two amazing kids. And then she yeah. goes on to define it a little bit more. I like this um, sentence. Overall, I classify myself as a scientist turned investor turned entrepreneur. I love technology, finance, and solving problems. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. So, and so she's, she's, she's brought that forward. 
you know, and and he's clearly very successful. There's a quote from her husband um, that says that when he left Fisker Automotive, which was the the sort of previous iteration, he said, "All I had was my car. I'm in a different position, mainly because of Geeta, because she cuts the deals." And you know where I, I'm not sure when they married or you know what order all of these things happened in, but he inspires her to do great work and she inspires him by the great work that she does and I think that's in in an environment where you work with your partner which I could never imagine doing I I totally admire that um I was just reading I was just looking at the Fisker car it's quite a, quite a good looking car actually I've not seen them around much well certainly not in the UK but I've not even seen them uh, on the internet much at all they're also in competition with Tesla. They are, um, they're trying to make, well, they're making a, a vehicle called the Ocean. And uh, it apparently is, met, not only is it environmentally friendly in terms of its fuel consumption, um, it's made largely from recycled materials. And the price is, is about $37,500. Um, which is bigger, it's bigger than the Tesla, but it's $12,000 cheaper. And she says uh, in an article that I was reading today online, um, we're not in, we're not just in, we're not interested in making money out of electric vehicles, although of course they are, we're interested in making good electric vehicles. And if that's their um, position versus Tesla, I think that's quite an interesting Mm. one. It, it might be explain why Tesla are now talking about doing a, an even cheaper car. Mm. So that, mm. you know, they're pushing the price of their their um, lower end um, even further down, maybe. They're just um, stepping up to the competition. Now, I just noticed last week we talked about um, a, a lady in, um, and we said that we didn't know a lot about her as a person. Just reading this article in Wellham, I get... Um, an explanation of what her day is like here so um, she says she likes to start the day with a workout and after the workout she listens to the news and answers her emails before work begins at 9am work usually involves brief meetings and updates on projects quick decision making and looking at numbers every day is driving innovation and brainstorming finance but then back onto the personal stuff Henrik and I love good food. We typically end up at a business dinner or cooking something healthy at home. And my day usually ends before midnight as I like to get at least six hours of sleep. Ooh. Oh, really? That much? Six whole hours. <laughs> but um, I thought this was quite interesting for anybody who's wanting to grow their business and to take inspiration from billionaire. Um, mm-hmm. to, to Fisker is um, they ask could you share with us one strategy that has helped you to grow your business? And she said, persistence, keep thinking, keep evolving, always challenging myself to avoid complacency and coming up with new solutions. When the going gets tough, tough gets going, give a thousand percent in tough times and never give up. So that's her advice. And she's a billionaire. So something yeah. must be working. Well, yeah, and I, I think the other thing that's um, that stuck with me is that, yes, she is a billionaire. Uh, there's been a lot of hard work, 
um, her husband was employed by Elon Musk um, in part of the development of the, it's not the S class, but it's the S something Tesla. Model S. Uh, the model, there we go, there we go. But um, I, I, there was an interview on medium.com and she was um, she was asked a question about people being unhappy at work. And she talks about happiness in the workplace is a complicated topic. Um, and she says that she's fortunate now, instead of working for a salary to pay the bills, they can shift their mindset to working towards happiness. And happiness is usually linked to success feeling valued, progress, and making a difference. So, yeah, it's easy to say when you've got, you know, a few quid in the bank. But she says that she knew throughout her working career that she wouldn't always be happy. But if she always worked towards happiness, that's when she would do some of her best work. That's really um, good. I like yeah. it. Yeah. It, again, it's that. It's, it's a different approach to the same uh, I can only be happy if I work hard and am successful. Well, try being happy first and and see where that gets you. So uh, really interesting, really interesting lady. Yeah, and she in everything I've read about her, she genuinely does seem happy. She yeah. loved, um, She's saying that um, she would advise people to love life, complete with all its challenges and uh, embrace the challenges. She says she wakes up grateful every day. Yeah, I think once you, no matter how successful you are, if you lose sight of that, it's going to have a negative impact, isn't it, at some point? I think you have to just, it's no good just, it's no good being minted and not appreciating it. And not being happy as well. How many, <laughs> you know, we do hear stories, don't we, you know, so you might be a billionaire, but if, if, ultimately you're miserable with it what is the point yeah yeah so that's Gita Gupta Fisker uh, ER Fisker of the um, electric car uh, company not the scissors company <laughs> uh, she is co-founder and chief financial officer of Fisker, Fisker Inc and I'll put some links to uh, the interviews and articles that we've talked about on our website which is thebusiness.community that's all we've got time for this week on the business community if you've enjoyed listening to this week's podcast you can find out about all the things that we've talked about over the years at our website which is thebusiness.community we do hope you'll join us again next week for more news views and reviews from the world of business <laughs> <laughs>